Welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist, the podcast for anyone who's interested in acupuncture, complementary medicine, holistic health, and self-care. I'm your host, Alexa Bradley-Halsey. If you enjoy this show, you can help other people discover it by leaving a rating or a review, by following or subscribing on your favorite podcast listening app, or simply by telling someone about it. And if you'd like to support this show financially, you can become a paid subscriber on Substack for just a few dollars a month. Just head over to substack.com and search notes from your acupuncturist or click the link in the show notes. And one more thing before we get started, just a disclaimer that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a replacement for medical care from a qualified healthcare provider. Okay, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist. I'm Alexa, and today I'm thrilled to be joined once again by my friend and colleague, Jerusha DeGroat-Stevens of Sprouted Heart Acupuncture and Wellness in Flowood, Mississippi. Jerusha first joined me in episode 11 for a rich discussion on acupuncture for infertility and IVF support. And today, she's back to talk about what happens after the positive pregnancy test and how acupuncture can support a healthy pregnancy and prevent pregnancy loss. Jerusha, welcome, welcome back. Hello, Alexa. I'm so glad to be here again. Thank you. I am too. Um, before we get started, I just want to give a quick content warning because we will be discussing pregnancy loss during this episode. And if that's a difficult topic for any of you listening out there, you might want to skip this episode. And on that subject, we talked about this a bit in our fertility episode. This is an exciting time in a patient's life when they first get pregnant, but it can also be a very fraught time with a lot of worry. So I'd like to start by talking about some of the emotional and psychological benefits of acupuncture for people who are pregnant or want to become pregnant or want to maintain a pregnancy. Well, I really think that acupuncture helps to kind of downshift the brain from a sense of heightened overdrive that happens whenever you're trying to conceive and having fertility challenges and perhaps going through expensive procedures. And um, I, I, the psychological benefits, I think, is just like lifting the burden for even mm. 30 minutes and mm. giving a patient a sense of peace um, or escape, you know, yeah. from the world. Um, and I, I tell my patients, this is a grown up time out. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make you be in here by yourself, like a sensory deprivation chamber. <laughs> I'm going to take your phone away from you. And, you know, you, you just have to be. And I, I think that helps um, them psychologically as they go through this because there's so much mental and emotional burden that goes into uh, these patients' lives that they don't really get much of an escape. And so for them to be able to have that, that time out, um, you know, I, I also think that you know, the biochemicals that are released during acupuncture are great for the brain. It's an effortless way to step back and kind of 
view things a little bit differently, but I do think that, um, like I said, the biochemicals that are released during acupuncture help the brain to just downshift. And I know they've done studies on the brain waves during acupuncture and yes. how they are very similar to a sleep wave. Yes. Or, or meditation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am so fascinated by that. I love talking about brain waves. I think it's so interesting. Yes. And what happens to the brain during acupuncture? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is a downshift into that alpha and theta and delta brainwave state, which is which can be deeply relaxing. Yes. And I love what you say about effortless because when patients are trying to get pregnant, and especially if they're going through a lot of fertility treatments, it does feel like another job. There's so Mm -hmm. many appointments and so many, such a rigid schedule you have to adhere to with medications and injections and appointments and everything is timed down to the minute. And to be able to step away and let someone else guide your journey or just let someone else take care of you. Take the will. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Take the will. Lie down. Relax. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you got to (laughs) do. No, I just, I do, I do. I just say, you know, let me, let me take care of you for a little bit. And that is nice because they do have to be so, um, like you said, regimented, even down to their, you know, intimacy with their partner. And um, that, that can take its toll, especially after a long duration. Mm -hmm. And uh, if a patient has other young children and they're trying to get pregnant, it's a nice mm-hmm. way for them to step away from the responsibilities yes. of parenthood for a half hour or so. Yes. It's so funny that you say that because I, I, you know, I know if my, my patient is a parent already because I've done an intake and asked them about their history and I, I you know, after I put the needles in, I say, you know, Nobody's going to ask you for a snack for 30 minutes. <laughs> snack. That's great. I want a snack. <laughs> no, have, snacks. no snacks. No snacks. <laughs> no snacks. That's great. As a parent, I mean, I just feel like there's a conveyor belt of food going into my child's mouth. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> we and- just ate. <laughs> to be able to not have to do that for 30 minutes. That's a that's nice a big break. Deal. It mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. It does. And so there's some, you know, self-care is a buzzword, I guess. <clears throat> and it bothers me a little bit because um, it's, it's something that we all need, but I think that there's still this idea around self-care that it's a luxury. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, you know, being able to take that break because we are not programmed as Americans to take breaks. You know, I mean, we're just like, go, go, go. Lying down in the middle of a work day seems preposterous to some people. (laughs) It does, right. Helping them understand that, hey, you, you can do this and it's okay. And it's not luxury. It is taking care of yourself. And, um, and we, we all need that. We've just had generations that have ignored it. Right. I think we need to redefine what self-care means and reframe mm-hmm. it as something that is not a luxury, that it is necessary. It's a, it, it's survival in some cases. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as acupuncturists, we're, we're in a good position to do that redefining for people mm -hmm. and to help mm -hmm. people see it's, it's not just relaxing and kicking off your shoes for 30 minutes. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of it, mm -hmm. but it's, it's therapeutic. So much. Yes. It's therapeutic. It's so much deeper than that. So related to pregnancy, another question that will sometimes come up is people want to know if acupuncture is safe during pregnancy. And I always tell people, yes, it's very safe. Are, you, are there ever instances when you don't recommend acupuncture during pregnancy? The only thing I could think of would be um, a patient with a history of epilepsy or vagal uh, mm -hmm. response, syncope. Um, I have had several pregnant women have what, what some people call needle shock. Mm -hmm. I don't really like that term, mm -hmm. um, but it's syncope, meaning if you're scared of needles or anxious, you might faint. And yes. that happens with acupuncture. And I have seen it happen several times with pregnant women. It's not dangerous if you can see the signs and quickly remove the needles and help them pull out of that vagal response. Mm -hmm. But that would be someone that I, I would hesitate to treat again. But literally, I think that's it. Yeah. I, I talk to patients about the precautions that we take during pregnancy because we do mm -hmm. have a set of points that are called yes, the forbidden, forbidden. the forbidden mm -hmm. points. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's a set of points that we avoid during pregnancy uh, and they're easy to avoid because there are hundreds of points on the body. We have lots mm -hmm. of other points to choose from. Um, so uh, I feel like our medicine has sort of a built-in safeguard in pregnancy and they, we are, as practitioners are trained not to use these specific points during pregnancy. Until the end. Until the end. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. <laughs> but yes, it's, it's, I feel like it's one of the safest therapeutics that you can do during pregnancy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, uh, you know, nobody wants to, um, harm a pregnancy or a pregnant woman. And so there's a lot of care that goes into, um, into my practice because as a natural extension of treating fertility, I treat a lot of pregnancy as well. And so um, I do have kind of a, a trimester schedule, if you will, with how I treat patients and especially those that have had pregnancy loss um, I will ask them to please come and see me every week until we get past their threshold of loss. Mm -hmm. And most of the time that is the first trimester. Um, occasionally it will be after that for, um, for stillborns, but nevertheless, um, some people just opt to keep coming because they see the wisdom or they, they, they feel the benefits of acupuncture during their pregnancy. And so that it can be one of my favorite things is, you know, uh, what I call a stem to stern baby. Yes. I so, love that too. <laughs> they, they conceive under your care and then they, they have the baby under your care. And um, just seeing those families grow is, is so fun. And to see someone transform into to motherhood or parenthood during that time is 
um, is really nice too. But I see a lot of um, morning sickness mm -hmm. uh, in the earliest parts of the pregnancy, um, treating a lot of anxiety. And I, I talk to them about supporting the pregnancy with the points that I choose, not only not using the forbidden points until we need them, but also, you know, helping them understand that directionality is really important in Chinese medicine. Mm. And so lifting the chi versus descending the chi. So I explain, you know, if you have uh, hypertension or your period's late or you're vomiting, that all that energy is coming up. And yes. so what we want to do is kind of oppose that nicely and try to help things to, to descend. But in the case of a pregnancy, we want to do a whole, what I call a holding treatment mm -hmm. or uh, an uplifting treatment. And so I love to use uh, uh, Shin Song. Yes, I do too. I love that. I love those points to help um, lift the chi, but uh, I'll also be able to calm the mind. Yes. So um, for our listeners out there who aren't acupuncturists, Sushin Song is a set of points on the crown of the head. It means four alarm spirit. And there's, I usually combine them with do 20 by Hui, mm -hmm. which is a point at the top of the head. And then mm -hmm. Sushin Song is a, uh, forward, backward on either side of it. So there's five points on the top of the head. Mm -hmm. And I do that combination almost always in the first mm -hmm. trimester mm -hmm. because of that action that you described. It lifts and holds a chi, but it can also treat that rebellious chi. So when you're talking about chi moving in the wrong direction, like hypertension and vomiting, we call that rebellious chi in Chinese medicine. <laughs> love that term. <laughs> I love the way Chinese medicine describes things. I do too. I do yeah. too. Yep. Um, so yeah, I love that we that we find that balance of lifting and descending, moving up and moving down and holding. There's so much nuance to what we do in Chinese medicine and with acupuncture that we can apply our medicine in these situations where we're doing multiple things at once. We're moving up mm -hmm. and moving down. Mm -hmm. We're holding and moving at the same mm -hmm. time. And acupuncture can beautifully do all of that together. Yes, yeah, so it's interesting because you want to hold a pregnancy, but a lot of these women are taking progesterone because they've gone through fertility treatments until they're about 10 weeks when the placenta takes over providing progesterone. And progesterone, one of the side effects is constipation. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yes. And so, you know, yes. obviously you don't want to, uh, you would like for that to descend, yes. but at the same time support the pregnancy. And so, you know, I think it, it is so much nuance because you want to be able to help move and guide things gently and effectively, but, um, yeah, it's so much fun. It is. Well, let's, um, why don't we kind of go through, the trimesters, because you you mentioned that you sort of have an approach through each of the trimesters. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to talk about acupuncture through the different stages of pregnancy. It's it's pretty well known for treating nausea and morning sickness. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about how exactly that works. So there's a cardinal point for nausea, uh, any type of nausea, 
that's pericardium six. And I definitely do acupuncture on that point along with the, the, um, Shin song. And I also am going to listen to what the patient is going through. I mean, that first trimester can be exhausting because you're building a little human and it takes lots of chi. And so typically, um, people are very bone tired. And so helping them be able to have that escape, have some rest, not serve any snacks or whatever the situation <laughs> is um, while they're trying to maintain a pregnancy um, is great. So nausea and anxiety are probably at the top of the list whenever it comes to what I'm treating in the first trimester. You know, if they have a, a, a blood clotting disease, I might consider invigorating blood depending on if they're on blood thinners, um, you know, are they averse to eating? Uh, you know, just trying to help individualize where that patient is so that I don't, I don't use a lot of points early in pregnancy. Uh, so I, I, I usually try to keep it very focused on, you know, the top two or three issues that the patient is seeing. So you mentioned nausea and anxiety. Pericardium six treats both of those. That's one of the things that's so cool about acupuncture is we can do a, a treatment with minimal needles that is, has such far reaching effects and um, pericardium six is a point on the wrist and I recommend C bands for my patients too, which is an elastic acupressure band that you can buy at a drugstore that stimulates that point pericardium six these these products are marketed for people going on cruises in for seasickness, but they use acupuncture theory. And um, so that that works really well. I have my patients wear C-bands or all place seeds at pericardium six. And it's some ongoing stimulation that helps both the nausea and the anxiety. Yes. So interestingly enough, I do something very similar and that I use uh, the Siren Pionex uh, press tax. Mm-hmm on pericardium six. And if they are super sick, I say, get the C bands and put it on top of oh, the PINX. So it's that's a, a good double idea. duty. I also teach the patient, I, I send them home with some press tacks because you wash your hands so much that, you know, those press tacks aren't going to last very long, but they, they, they need more help throughout the week. And so I say, you know, do you see this major risk crease? Three finger breaths up. And, and and they own it. I mean, they're on it. Usually when they come in with the seed bands, they're like, am I putting this in the right place? And I'm like, you're really close. Yeah. But you go between the train tracks of the, <laughs> uh, the ligaments uh, in your in your wrists. And that, you know, those sort of things help people understand. Because for you and I, point location is something we could do in our sleep. But you know, this is like a whole new uh, realm for them, but they also feel like they can kind of uh, uh, help themselves, empower themselves to get through uh, a rough time because morning sickness is can be very debilitating for some people. Mm -hmm. Very. Well, let's get into the second trimester now. Okay. So this is usually the smooth sailing trimester. Yes. Uh, you're, you're not so big that you've got sciatica, um, you know, your hormones, your progesterone is, is 
high and you feel good. And it's typically kind of the smooth sailing trimester. And, you know, if, if they have gotten to their threshold for um, pregnancy loss, meaning they have made it past where they have not made it past before, as far as weeks of their pregnancy, and they are starting to kind of simmer down and settle into the pregnancy. Um, I just say, you know, come and see me if you need me. Um, sometimes if they've had um, pregnancy loss, they're like, no, I'm coming every week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to give them some wiggle room. Um, but, you know, sometimes the hips can start to be painful, pubic symphysis pain, sometimes headaches uh, can come up. And so, you know, I, I just help manage, um, things as they, uh, walk through the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see anything in the second trimester typically more than other trimesters? Not really. It's, it is kind of the lull trimester. I feel like, um, usually the morning sickness has resolved by then their mm-hmm. anxiety has come down a little bit because yes, they're past that threshold. Things are, are moving and the baby's growing, but mm-hmm. not pressing on nerves necessarily yet, or like really pushing organs out of the way. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of a lull. And so it's just, I find the same in my practice. Some patients continue coming in because they feel like it's just really helpful helpful and supportive. Others, they, they take a little break from acupuncture and then I start to see them again later on in the pregnancy. Yes. They tell me they need to save money. Yes. Save money for baby clothes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's when you start buying the stuff too. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You can finally start buying the stuff because you might actually have a baby. Right. Right. So now getting into the third trimester, there's so many benefits here and two areas in particular are turning a breech baby and cervical ripening and labor prep. And I want to talk about those in a minute, but what else do you typically see happening in the third trimester that you address with acupuncture? Um, gestational diabetes mm-hmm. as well as um, it may not be preeclampsia yet, but someone's blood pressure may be, starting to increase as they get further along. Um, I see that a lot with uh, my PCOS patients because Mm -hmm. they have a tendency to both gestational diabetes and um, hypertension uh, later in pregnancy. So, you know, they may call me at 30 weeks and say, hey, my blood pressure is starting to go up and my doctor is starting to get worried. Is there anything you can do? And there, there are plenty of things that we can do to help, um, you know, with gestational diabetes, it's a, it's a supply and demand thing. Mm. So diet is really a big part of, of helping to control gestational diabetes. But a lot of women are, they, they have that in their DNA because they may have PCOS. I treat a lot of PCOS. And so I see this happening frequently. They just have, um, that's a predisposition mm-hmm. uh, for hypertension as well as high cholesterol, but um, helping them kind of navigate those waters because, you know, a lot of these patients are already seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist if they've been through IVF 
and um, you know they, they don't want anything to rock the boat. And so when a flag comes up like uh, gestational diabetes, then um, you know it's another it, it's another possible intervention. And so you know I do try to help with that, but also coach them on um, on their food. Mm-hmm. With gestational diabetes, do you pro- do you approach that as basically a deficiency of the spleen and stomach? I'm I'm just thinking about how we think about it in Chinese medicine, and I think about as the pregnancy progresses, more and more of the body's resources are going towards supporting the fetus and the development of the fetus, and and so the the baby gets all of the chi and blood and depletes. The mother is that how you, you approach it then is just trying to supplement yes typically because uh you know pregnancy sets you up for deficiency <laughs> like you said <laughs> they're just um they're little little mooches and you know they'll, they'll take everything that you have and they're so, snacking even you before know, they're born they're snacking <laughs> <laughs> true so um i, I really do it's highly individualized, but yes, I do usually see that um, coming from a place of deficiency and usually yang, uh, yang deficiency of of the earth element for sure. Sometimes it can be yin deficiency. I feel like third trimester is also when people start having more pain because the baby is growing. This is when patients tend to have sciatica and lower back pain and hip pain and around ligament pain. And as we mentioned in the, in the infertility episode, um, carpal tunnel too. And I think that's fascinating that carpal tunnel arises in pregnancy. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's a storm of inflammation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In a lot of ways for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, have you seen pups before? Pups? No. What is pups? Pups is late pregnancy rash that occurs all over the body. It's almost like the body is allergic to pregnancy. P-U-P-P-P-S. It's an acronym for, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but it's very interesting. I haven't (laughs) seen that. Yeah, oh. it, it's it's it, it's not rare, but um, it's something that I have found um, happens during late pregnancy, uh, and it's just a very itchy red rash that can sometimes cover the whole body during pregnancy. Um, so that sort of thing. Um, lots of breach presentation. Babies come to my clinic. Um, I work with moxibustion uh, to help turn breech babies. And uh, I mean, I tell patients it works about 50% of the time. Uh, it works about half the time, depending on uh, how much brain baby has. Uh, I don't try to help a patient turn a baby after 36 weeks, unless I have confirmation that there's plenty of fluid and okay. that I feel like the baby has, um, you know, has been moving. And so sometimes babies are just head down. Sometimes babies flip around and go to transverse. And so that tells me that they have more room to, to move. So uh, I'm real particular about whom I try to help 
Um, acupuncture is not an aggressive way of helping turn a breech baby. It's more like a facilitation. And um, I, I tell people that I would definitely try it and go home and do moxibustion on myself after I teach them how before I would have an external version. Mm -hmm. uh, external version means you are admitted to the hospital. They give you state all, uh, which is a, a narcotic so that you can deal with the pain mm -hmm. and uh, them, you know, forcibly turning the baby. And yeah. it just sounds scary and dangerous, but so does a C-section. And so you got to weigh your options. Right. And, um, and sometimes with pregnancy, we are faced with very tough decisions. And I, 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 if the timing is right, I say, come in, let's try it. I'll even work with it earlier. Like I have a mom that's working on her third pregnancy under my care. This is her second baby to be breech and she's 30 weeks. And she called me and she's like, I want to start doing the moxa now. Mm. Mm. And I said, you can, but you remember with your second one, it, <laughs> it flip flop. That, that yeah. baby was a fish <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. And we just, we couldn't keep up with it, but she did great. And she had a vaginal delivery. But anyway, you know, I mean, sometimes they, they know, like I have this tool, I'm going to go ahead and start using it now, which is great. Yes. And, you know, you talk about some of the other alternatives. I am always an advocate of let's start with the least aggressive intervention first. And yes. that's, that's acupuncture and moxibustion. Um, I, you, you were saying that it works about 50% of the time. I think, I, you know, I haven't tracked it, but I think that probably sounds about right for me. I found a one research study and it was published in 1998, so it's not all that recent. But they um, they did moxa at at uh, bladder 67. So so we do moxibustion, which is a warming technique, and it's done at a specific point, bladder 67. It's a that's a point on the on the pinky toe. So this study they looked at the effects of moxa at bladder 67 and they did it at 33 weeks and they did daily moxa for seven days plus an additional seven days of the baby was still breech and in the moxa group 75 percent of babies were head down at birth and in the control group 62 percent were so that's a pretty significant difference when do when do you typically do moxa and instruct patients to do it at home and do you instruct them to do it every day and for how long and what are your instructions for that so if I, if i have the opportunity i will um treat the patient and do needle moxa on bladder 67 along i, I usually do a sideline treatment mm -hmm. and um you know i will do some sacral points or if they have any pain i'll address that um, so I do warm needle moxa, uh, and then I send them home with the uh, the stick moxa. Um, I use the smoky kind. I think mm -hmm. that it's better than the smokeless. Um, I do try to do my breech patients at the very end of the day, yeah, so that um, the smoke the smoke doesn't bother anybody else because it it can linger and it it, it can bother some people. Nevertheless, I send them home and I tell them 15 minutes each toe every day if they can. And 
I usually take a Sharpie and make a <laughs> dot on the point. So, and teach them, you know, like how to find it with drawing a line. Um, but, you know, you don't have to be quite so focused on the acupuncture point because the stick moxa is big. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you just generally aim towards the outer nail corner and you're going to do just fine yeah i also instruct them on not burning down their house yes the moxa. <laughs> and i tell every one of them that i almost burned down my school clinic <laughs> <laughs> caught a trash can on fire <laughs> and um that the embers can last for a long time inside the moxa stick and so you need a mug with sand in it because if you extinguish it with water, you're not going to be able to use the rest of the stick. So, you know, I mean, you just got to help them care for the moxa as well and try to explain that it has a really strong smell and that, you know, it's it's kind of must be a relative of cotton because it's got like this cottony texture to it. So anyway, moxa is fun. I love to use moxa, but I really, in my clinic, I only do it at the end of the day for breech babies because I also have work neighbors too. So I have Mm -hmm. to be mindful of that. Another area that we, that we see a lot in, in the third trimester is um, getting close to a patient's due date. A lot of patients want our help in having the type of birth that they envision. Yes. And they want a natural childbirth. Mm-hmm. And um, and so let's talk about how acupuncture can support whatever type of birth a patient wants, whether it's a natural at-home birth, whether it's, you know, whatever kind of birth that they want. Acupuncture can have a lot of benefits for cervical ripening and labor prep. So mm-hmm. let's talk about how that works. So I like to use the word facilitation because a lot of times people, uh, you know, call the clinic and say, you know, I need to be induced with acupuncture. Mm -hmm. Like that is a very Western concept of induction. And so that is kind of a, a, a forced labor. And with acupuncture, I, I don't feel like very much at all is forced um, it's just helping guide the body to do what it's already geared to do. And so again, I typically will have the patient come in a series of times, depending on, you know, is their physician starting to breathe heavy about their due date? And what is a doctor saying about um, timeline? And really communicating in a non-judgmental place um, and not trying to drive their decisions, but to be a a supportive part of their birth team. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the the physicians, the doula, midwife, all of those are a team helping to bring a baby forth along with how the patient wants their birth to go. And so, you know, I am, I'm again, a backup singer mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, I'm not center stage here. I am not driving, driving this truck. The patient does. And so I try to meet them where they are, 
see them a series of times, like maybe the week before their due date, I'll see them a Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of scenario. And I do, um, if, if we're on a deadline and we have like, you know, a week or 10 days, then I'll do a series of treatments. I do a sideline treatment and I'll do electroacupuncture on the sacrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will choose the forbidden points. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Otherwise, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and uh, usually some calm the mind points because they're anxious about bringing forth this child. And so um, typically it, it can help. And I tell patients that we may not be able to have spontaneous labor um, with just acupuncture, uh, and everything else that they're probably doing. Um, but it can really make an induction go a lot more smoothly. So I try to help them wrap their mind around not being an absolutist whenever it comes to their birth story, mm-hmm. because I just think the absolutist in this life will kick your butt. Yes. I mean, across the board, <laughs> across the board. And so, you know, uh, I want to support home births. I want to support a hospital birth. Um, whatever is best for that patient, I show up and, and support them from a non-judgmental place. And I think that almost above everything else is as much help as anything. If I get them before, you know, a week to 10 days, I might start to do some um, softening treatments, especially if they have like no cervical dilation and just starting to introduce those forbidden points, maybe, you know, what are their six or eight? Mm -hmm. I can't even remember, but you know, not like a slow roll into Mm -hmm. all the points eventually as we get closer, but just helping them to, again, take a step back, have 30 minutes of peace and just relax the body um, is, is, very helpful. So that's how I really love to see it is with a little homework done before we actually bring out the big guns, which are not really that big. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Electro acupuncture is like the, you know, the most aggressive form of acupuncture um, besides dry needling, Mm -hmm. but that's a whole other subject. Yes. Thinking about labor prep and labor facilitation I I was looking into some studies. I found a study that was published in 2001 and they did acupuncture every day at two of the forbidden points. So they used large intestine four, which is on the hand in the fleshy area between the thumb and the forefinger. And they used spleen six, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. on the, um, the medial lower leg. And so they did these two points every day, starting on the patient's due date. And if they waited 10 days and if they, if the patient hadn't delivered after 10 days, then labor was induced. So on average, women in the acupuncture group delivered their baby five days after their estimated due date and patients in the control group delivered 7.9 days after their estimated due date. So that's almost a three day difference. Mm-hmm. That's um, interesting. I had not heard that study. Mm-hmm. And then they had another finding. They looked at uh, those patients who were induced. Labor was induced with oxytocin in 20% of patients in the acupuncture group and in 35% of patients in the control group. So that's a significant difference. 
That is significant. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I do too. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, I'll, I'll put a link to that study and the other one I yeah. mentioned in the show notes so that people can take a look. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about pregnancy loss mm-hmm. because a lot of our patients have experienced a loss. It's estimated that 10 to 20% of known pregnancies end in a miscarriage. So this is something that a lot of people go through. And some of our patients experience recurrent losses. Mm-hmm. And if they've struggled with infertility, a pregnancy loss, it just feels like another blow on top of everything else. So I'd like to hear what's your approach when you're working with these patients who have experienced a loss or they're worried about a possible miscarriage? Well, you know, I, I feel like this medicine really shines for recurrent pregnancy loss. And there's so many variables that it's it's hard to even nutshell it really. But, you know, if someone is has had recurrent pregnancy loss, I want to make sure that they have had every single test run by a Western doctor. Um, thrombophilias or blood clotting diseases is um, a big issue, oftentimes overlooked until someone has had, you know, three losses. Genetics, um, karyotype, anatomical issues with the uterus, um, polyps. I want the, these patients to be combed over very, very thoroughly. And that's why I love working with the reproductive endocrinologist um, that I work with because he is the most thorough and he understands that, you know, pregnancy loss is a really, a, it's a special kind of hell. And mm. it's, um, followed closely in the clinic that, uh, the IVF clinic where I work. And he tells me, Dr. Hans tells me that when patients have recurrent pregnancy loss, following them closely, meaning regular ultrasounds, um, can be a really big help to kind of ferry them through, um, those crucial first couple of weeks. And so um, I really like the collaboration with Western medicine whenever it comes to recurrent pregnancy loss, because there are so many things that I don't feel like acupuncture can do much about, like uh, like an anatomical issue, you know, uh, ectopics and tubal disorders. I am not going to masquerade as a practitioner that can help you know, clear your tubes. Mm-hmm. If you have blocked tubes, um, I'm just real straightforward whenever it comes to what I can and cannot help with. And so I want them to have a very thorough, uh, workup with a reproductive endocrinologist. And from there, I will usually try to help them conceive, but I might ask them to wait to try to conceive to try to kind of refill the well, because sometimes these, these women have just had them back to back, back to back losses. And they're coming from a place of deficiency because uh, they try so hard and then they get there and then, you know, their hopes are dashed. And so it takes like, it's, it's a grieving process for the body and spirit. 
And so, you know, I want to make sure that they grieve that appropriately and then try to get them um, above board as far as the health, their health is, because, you know, in my mind in Chinese medicine, if you're having losses, that is like the, defi- that is the um, epitome of a deficiency. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, from there, I, you know, I, I don't do a real rigorous schedule for my um, fertility patients. They're usually career driven, et cetera, et cetera. So I will see them maybe uh, two or three times a cycle, help to get them back to board, uh, above board, and then, uh, you know, say, okay, I think it's time for y'all to start trying. And I don't tell everybody to wait. Some people aren't going to wait, but that's okay too. Uh, they just might experience another loss. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I mean, you frame it that way and sometimes people are like, oh, maybe, maybe that's right. So yeah. um, anyway, once they get pregnant and I usually tell people um, three to six months mm-hmm. yeah, uh, for acupuncture. And then um, if they get pregnant, I want to see them you know, until they get past their threshold. And that's usually weekly. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's, that's how I approach recurrent pregnancy loss. It's a, it's one of those things that is so, um, it, it's so heartbreaking to treat sometimes. And yet mm-hmm. it's such a, it's such an honor and a joy when we are able to, um, help, walk with the patient through that and mm-hmm. pass their threshold. And, um, that's a, it's an exciting time too. And we're just lucky that we get to do that. I know to be a witness. I mean, yeah. sometimes I tell people I'm, I'm here for good news and bad news. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, one other thing about pregnancy as a patient is getting close to the end of their pregnancy, they'll often ask how soon they can come back in after the baby mm-hmm. is born. And I'll usually tell them, come in as soon as you feel like getting out of the house. Yeah. Um, So briefly, let's talk about acupuncture in the postnatal period. What are some of the benefits of doing acupuncture after the baby's born? Well, um, lactation is one Mm -hmm. uh, that I have treated many times to help um, with milk supply and you know, there are experts in that field as well. And helping patients connect with a lactation specialist is, is a big deal for, for me. I know that when I had my children, I needed one and they can be a godsend. And so I try to connect people um, because it takes a village sometimes to, to help um, women around childbirth, a perinatal period. And um, I do, I have had women bring newborns and, uh, nursing their baby, getting their acupuncture, because uh, even postnatal having um, tendonitis, Mm -hmm. like trying to nurse your baby and your thumbs not work. That's Mm -hmm. really hard. Um, I'm thinking of one patient in particular. And, uh, but, you know, again, if they can leave the baby in the care of someone else, it gives them that respite, that Mm -hmm that break and, and new moms need that so much, mm-hmm. even if it's nothing more than the AccuNap. That's right. Blood pressure, again, can be wonky after childbirth. So trying to help even that out, 
you know, just, just really trying to, to give back to the body so that they can have less uh, likelihood of postpartum depression or anxiety. So if that patient was walking into this pregnancy with anxiety and infertility, then having the baby is also going to do the same thing. Yes. Uh, Then they're, you know, they have to take care of this baby and they don't know how, and all of that is a learning curve. And so helping them tap into their intuition and instinct and reminding them that they have those things. Yes. Yeah. And, and just replenishing, I feel like what has been, what has been depleted during pregnancy and childbirth. It's, it's not easy on the body. No. One of the things that I, love about treating pregnant patients is that patients will often report a lot of fetal activity during oh yes babies love acupuncture babies love acupuncture isn't that funny it is funny they move around so much during acupuncture and this is an argument that i like to use whenever someone says oh acupuncture is just a placebo Uh because the placebo effect does not work on a fetus no. So, um, so acupuncture moves chi and the fetus feels that and then moves in response. Acupuncture is doing something to, um, to stimulate that fetal activity. So, yeah, I think that's very interesting. It is, you know, the, the placebo effect as well. Um, you know, animals are not persuaded by placebo. They are not. And veterinary acupuncture works great. Yes, both my dogs have had veterinary acupuncture. <laughs> <laughs> I also love treating pregnant patients because these are some of the best. See, there's some of my best acupuncture stories. Mm-hmm. I've had patients who their water has broken during a treatment when mm-hmm. they are sitting in the chair resting. Uh, we had one patient at my clinic who had her baby in the car after acupuncture on the way to the hospital. So um, acupuncture can work very quickly sometimes. <laughs> it can. I, ha- I had that same experience. Um, a friend of mine, a f- like a dear friend of mine uh, was due and she came to my house because it was labor day and my clinic was closed mm. and I gave her a treatment and she went into labor at my house on labor day, on labor day. <laughs> and I had to throw her into the back of my forerunner oh my and, and race her to the hospital. And I lived like 40 minutes away from the hospital <laughs> oh, no. and she was laboring on her hands and knees in the back seat of my forerunner. Oh my gosh. Luckily, we coalesced with her husband at the emergency room. It was such a funny story. She had the baby 45 minutes later, but we made it to the hospital. So oh my yes, gosh. it can happen quickly. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a good story. Uh, it was fun. And I get to see <laughs> that kid running around. He's like 10 <laughs> now. It's crazy. Now, do you ever treat any of the uh, babies of the of the parents that you treated while they were pregnant? In Memphis, when we worked together, I had a bad experience treating a six-year-old. Oh. And the mom really wanted the child to have acupuncture, and the baby was terrified, and I was caught in the middle. And I did not feel good about giving acupuncture to someone that could not consent. Yeah. And so I kind of had this rule that uh, unless they were super bright, 10-year-old, that could really understand 
understand what I was doing and have a conversation with me about it, then I wasn't likely to do that until I had a very desperate mother of a newborn call me and she had labor trauma, shoulder dystocia, Mm. where the baby was caught in uh, the birth canal. It was a large baby. And as the baby was exiting, the shoulders got caught and the physician had to pull on the the baby's head to get the baby to come out. And it gave the child um, brachoplexus syndrome, where it damaged the nerve and paralyzed one of the baby's arms. Wow. And so this mom called me and was desperate because the baby was just like three months old. And at a year old, they said that the baby would have to have a nerve graft. Oh my gosh. And, you know, you may have noticed uh, just in your observations, um, people with a withered right or left arm Mm -hmm. that, you know, everything else seemed okay with the person, but they had some type of paralysis or palsy. And so that's probably a patient that had brachoplexus syndrome. So she, I said, I have never treated an infant before. I'm going to have to do some research, (laughs) but she was so desperate And I knew that the baby had no feeling in their arm. And that somehow made me feel better about treating the baby because I I certainly don't want to hurt an infant. Mm -hmm. So again, I was working at uh, another clinic that I did not own. And this woman lived south of me. And so I said, come to my house Mm -hmm. because I don't know if this baby's going to scream. Right. I don't know. You know, I don't want to be disruptive. I also want to be very focused. And so I had a treatment room set up at my house. And so she brought the baby and uh, Harper and Mm -hmm. uh, treated little Harper. Grandmother was there. She actually filmed it. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, a lot of it was ulnar. Like um, you could tell that, um, you know, like the small intestine and heart meridian were most affected. And I did, I did uh, small intestine three and the baby's arm like shot out to its side. Whoa. It was like an involuntary reflex. And the grandmother and the mother looked at me and the grandmother started crying. And I was like, well, that did something. (laughs) But with infant acupuncture, it's a, it's in and out. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the baby wasn't retaining the needles. I did stimulate it. So anyway, that baby came back to me maybe five times in a pretty short period of time. And she regained full mobility. Amazing. I mean, I was blown away myself. I'm like, I don't even know how that happened. Um, Remarkably, this woman's cousin had the same issue with her little boy. And he, he had the same thing. And he came to see me a little older. And we were able to get him to recover a lot of his. But I think because he came later, I think he was maybe mm-hmm. eight or 10 months, we weren't able to regain everything. And he still had to have a procedure, but not, not a nerve graft. Wow. Yeah. So that would be the only time that I would really be interested in treating an infant. <laughs> I tell people that pediatrics is like 
pediatrics. It's a, yeah. it's a whole other realm it is. Of, of, of treatment. And you have to have really a kind of a facility that's geared towards kids. And uh, yeah. I'm just not there, but I'll make exceptions. Yeah. Wow. Before we wrap up, any final thoughts for our pregnant listeners out there or listeners who want to become pregnant and are curious about doing acupuncture during their pregnancy? Any final thoughts or advice for those folks? I think knowing for those that are trying to conceive that you have the capacity to do it yourself with improvement of your own fertility. So like we talked last time, that making babies book mm -hmm. um, by Jill Blakeway. I really love that book because it's very empowering. It's very teaching for a, a lay person to try understand how Chinese medicine can uh, address your fertility issues and helping them understand, you know, they, they kind of have categories in that book. And Jill really does a good job of breaking it down to, you know, to where you're, you're stuck or you're tired or, you know, they don't, they're able to identify with their own symptoms and be able to understand, okay, this, this is my chapter. I'm stuck liver cheese stagnation. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck. And so I'm going to look at this chapter and I'm going to, I'm going to participate in this because oftentimes people expect things to just be done for them. And that is not how Chinese medicine, it can work if you're a bystander, but you know, if you participate and you have a mental con struct of the girders of acupuncture, just meaning, you know, understanding a little bit more about yin and yang and chi and blood and dampness. And, and I'm sad that I can't sit and explain all of this to everybody, Yeah, but I tell them, you know, if you participate and, you know, you read this dietary recommendations document, this is not a diet, but these foods are going to be extra special for you. And, you know, you take care of yourself and you move your body and you do your meditation or go to church or whatever it is that, that gives back to the spirit. Cause so many people put their life on hold, job decisions, vacations, mm. you know, everything mm. trying to, uh, to conceive that, um, they get lost in the mire. Yeah. And so trying to help them live in the moment uh, I think is a, a, a big and important thing to do for these patients because they just get so caught up that you have to help them uh, kind of downshift and get back in their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good advice for all of us Downshift mm -hmm. and get back in your body mm -hmm. and acupuncture is really good at helping you with that. Effortless. <laughs> Effortless. Exactly. And just no show snacks. up, show up and <laughs> let me take care of you. Exactly. <laughs> well, once again, Jerusha, this has been such an enlightening conversation. Remind folks where they can keep up with you and your work and get in touch with you. Sure thing. Um, social media, Sprouted Heart Acupuncture, uh, website, SproutedHeartAcupuncture.com. Um, and I'm still hiring. So if okay. you're a, an acupuncturist out there wanting to come to <clears throat> this beautiful, great state and work in depth with pregnancy, fertility, 
postpartum, all things women related uh, and men too, um, then, you know, let me know. Yeah. There's a lot of need in Mississippi. There is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Alexa. It's always fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Notes from Your Acupuncturist. If you liked what you heard, please follow this show, leave a rating or review, or just tell someone about it. And if you want to join the conversation, you can subscribe to Notes from Your Acupuncturist on Substack, where you can comment, ask questions, participate in discussion threads, watch videos, and read more of my reflections on acupuncture and healing. Huge thanks, as always, to our paid subscribers for helping keep this work sustainable. You, too, can become a paid subscriber for just a few dollars a month. Just head over to substack.com and search notes from your acupuncturist or click the link in the show notes. Until next time, this is Alexa Bradley-Hulsey, your acupuncturist, signing off with love and gratitude.